playing. Nothing personal. Word of the day for Tuesday. May the 4th be with you. I don't really get into that, Coca. May 4th, Star Wars. It's not my kind of movie. I should have watched a Star Wars film yesterday, but I didn't. I just don't like them. People do all sorts of crazy stuff on May 4th. The sports world, the business world. There's been a lot of things going on. I wonder, Coca, if on May 4th, people just feel as though they can be otherworldly in their opinions and in their thoughts and in their statements. I don't know. Playing. That's really the word of the day. LeBron James is pissed and I'm laughing. LeBron James is concerned about the play and saying someone should be fired for the NBA play-in. You remember what we're talking about. The NBA season is only 72 games this year. Normally, it's 82. So they cut 10 games off the season. Last year, when NBA stopped because Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID-19, when they came back to the bubble in Orlando, it was a 60-game total season, or they cut however many games they cut. And they said, if we're coming back right now to play, we have to allow several teams to have a chance to make the playoffs. So they did this concept of a play-in tournament. Fine. Instead of eight teams in each conference, they have 10 teams in each conference duking it out for eight playoff spots. And the way you do it is if you finish in seventh place, seven plays eight. If you finish in ninth place, nine plays 10. And the loser of seven versus eight plays the winner of nine versus 10, which means if you're nine or 10, you have to win two straight games to make the playoffs. If you're seven, or eight, you only have to win one out of two to make the playoffs because the winner of seven versus eight makes the playoffs. And then the winner of the loser of seven, eight versus the winner of nine, 10 makes the playoffs. It's called a play-in. Players union was fine with it. Good idea. Let's not keep players rusty during the COVID shutdown. Understood. But they kept it going because it added excitement. It's like expanded playoffs. When you're a team in 10th place, all of a sudden you're talking like Jim Mora. Playoffs? Playoffs? Yeah. The Washington Wizards right now behind the gazillion triple doubles of Russell Westbrook, who's like three away from tying Oscar Robertson for career triple doubles. We're talking about he's averaging a triple double for this year. He just clinched it last night. The Wizards are saying playoffs. So that's exciting if you're a wizard. What's not all that exciting Wouldn't that be ironic, Coca, if the Wizards made the playoffs and the Rockets did not with the whole Russell Westbrook thing? So the Lakers, best team in basketball, defending champions, clearly wanting to repeat. LeBron's point of view is we're going to repeat. Everything's going fine. All of a sudden, Anthony Davis gets hurt. Then LeBron has a little this. He's got a little ankle. He's got a this and that. There's games being missed. The Lakers find themselves in danger of being the seventh seed. So LeBron asked about the play-in, said this is ridiculous. There shouldn't be play-in. Whoever came up with that ought to be fired. Who's he talking about, do you think? Is he talking about the player reps for the Lakers? Is he talking about player reps for other teams? Is he talking about union leadership? Is he talking about NBA commissioner office leadership because it may have been their idea? Is he talking about someone in broadcasting who works for one of the networks which broadcast the NBA who wanted maybe an extra playoff game played and shown on TV? Who are you talking about, LeBron? I think I know the answer. Because the only way the play-in 
concept got approved was because the players' union agreed to it. Now, people are writing all over. They're tweeting it. They're writing it that LeBron has changed his tune. He was okay with the play-in last year, and now he's not. And the reason he's not is that he's in danger of having to win the play-in tournament to try to make the playoffs to actually defend his title. Now, notice my carefully chosen words. When you are the Wizards and you make the play-in, you've made the playoffs. When you're the Lakers and you're forced to play in the play-in, you say we've got to win the play-in to get in the playoffs. It's all perspective, folks. Isn't that the greatest part of life? That two people, two organizations, can look at the exact same situation and have two completely different outlooks. So I'm not outraged at LeBron the way everybody is for saying someone should be fired. I just want to know who. I want to know which person in the union approved it because I've got a sneaking suspicion that LeBron James in his leadership position, which he has shown during this tumultuous time on and off the court, there was no play in agreement without LeBron James agreeing to it. Is it possible that he agreed to it thinking this doesn't matter to me? It's never going to be us. Maybe. Is it possible that he agreed to it and wasn't thinking about any ramifications of it at all? He just wanted to move on to a different negotiation, another part of the NBA negotiation. He was more concerned about off days, more concerned about load management, more concerned about something about his responsibilities on or off the court in between games. Maybe. So what are we to make of these Los Angeles Lakers and what they're going through? Nothing. Nada. If the Lakers have to play in the play-in and they don't make it, the league will be despondent, the Lakers will be despondent, and I'll be laughing. Laughing because it will finally give credence to what you want as a team president. You want the regular season to matter. What is the adage that is said about the NBA? And it's said it all the time. Regular season games, Yawners, not necessary, don't need to play. We're going to worry about May and June playoffs. Wouldn't it be amazing if the regular season did matter? Maybe you have to cut the number of games below 72 to get people even more excited. Maybe you have to cut the number of playoff teams and make everybody play in. Having the regular season matter impacts business a lot. So LeBron James is angry. I think he's just angry because his ankle hurts. He didn't even play against the Nuggets last night, who likely have the MVP in the Joker. They beat the Nuggets without LeBron. They needed that win, the Lakers did. I'm excited for the NBA playoffs to start. I'm ready for the regular season to end because the regular season hasn't meant a thing. The playing tournament is going to be super exciting. I'm not going to do a wait to see about somebody being fired because we're never going to know. If LeBron backs off the statement publicly in the next couple of days by finishing in the fifth seed where they currently are. And he never brings it up again. It'll never be brought up again. But a writer who covers the Lakers should be saying to him, a follow-up, who do you have in mind? Is it your agent, maybe? If the Lakers are forced to play in the play-in, I guarantee you the question's going to come up. 
and I guarantee you that he's going to have to answer who was responsible for the plane. But wait to see is when we say something's going to happen, and then we're going to revisit it. I try to get them all right, but when I'm wrong, I revisit and tell you I'm wrong. When I'm right, I'll revisit and say I was right. My wait to see is that the play-in, play-in, it's not going anywhere. It's going to be in, around in the NBA, not just this year, but next year too, and the year after, and the year after, and the year after, and the year after. But we're not going to make it a five-year wait to see. We're just going to say this. Play-ins will be in the NBA in next season, which is, I guess, the 21-22 season is what they call it in the NBA. Why? Money. Money makes the world go round. When you're rich and you own a team, do you think that you get smarter? Does being rich make you smart, in your opinion? No. Does being poor make you stupid? No. No correlation at all. You can be lucky. You can be unlucky. I've been so lucky my whole life. I'm not smarter than anyone I know. I've just been luckier, able to recognize opportunities, been able to take advantage of opportunities. But when owners come into baseball, they're generally rich when they start. In the old days, that wasn't the case when Bud Selig bought the Brewers, as an example, uh, back in 19, a long time ago. There was, that's how you know we have a live show, folks. We have a live show and Coca's not here today. Hello, Coca, are you there? Gone. Coca's so upset that we're on the road right now and that nothing personal is on the road at the moment. I don't know if you know that, but now you do. And we're taking this show on the road for the next bit of time. We'll give you updates where we are and what we're doing, maybe, if it's updatable. But I didn't bring Coca because that's not a road trip with your producer. He's got to produce, and now he's on strike. I don't even know what I want him to look at, but, oh, when Bud Selig bought the Brewers. I want to say 1970-something, but we're never going to know because I'm not going to look at it while doing the show, and Coca is not talking to me at the moment, which is fine and normal. So when he bought into the team, he, his wealth, his net worth was defined by the value of the team. Now that is not the case. When Steve Cohn bought the Mets, he came in rich. He's going to leave rich. And the question we asked ourselves is, what kind of owner will he be? We didn't realize he'd be a tweeting owner with completely asinine tweets, by the way. What we did say is his level of new owner-itis is going to really have a stamp on what the Mets season will be like. And the offseason, obviously. So we thought that they'd be a player for Bauer. They were. They didn't get him. We thought they'd be a player for JT Relamuto. They didn't want him because they didn't want to wait, so they signed James McCann. We thought they'd bring in George Springer because he makes perfect sense. They didn't. They let him go to the Blue Jays. They could really use Springer. Instead, they traded for Francisco Lindor. And we said, the new owner, there's no chance, no chance that they traded for Lindor without signing him to a long-term deal. There's just no chance of doing that. So they bring in Lindor. They sign him. Remember, he had dinner with Lindor, served him ravioli or had ravioli, whatever he had. They had a great time, became best friends. Not, at least in Steve's mind, they're best friends. Lindor signs the huge deal, which I already forgot what it was. I want to say 12, 340, but that sounds like Tatis. All the deals are not in my head at the moment because my head's blurry because it's 530 in the morning. Yes, it is. 
at least where I am. So Steve Cohn starts the season. Same old things are happening. The Mets are, in my opinion, underperforming. Their expectations, not mine. Their pitching staff is Jacob DeGrom and four rainouts. Now you could say Stroman's been fine if you want, but I'm not going to. Syndergaard's coming in June. That'll be fun. Good. How's Lindor doing? It's April. Everyone be calm, but no one's calm in New York. Steve Cohn's on Twitter. Steve Cohn's reading the back page of the paper. And will Steve Cohn do anything where we can yell at the top of our lungs, new owneritis, new owneritis, new owneritis? Well, he got the itch. And yesterday, he scratched it. 23 games into a season with Lindor hitting, probably he's not even hitting his weight. I think he's 0 for his last 21. I think he's hitting 163. I have no idea what he weighs. I bet he weighs a little more than 163. It's very bad if you're not hitting your weight in baseball. Very, very bad. You have to hit your weight. It's like a rule. We used to call it the Mendoza line, which is 200 after a player who hit below 200 or at 200 or a little above 200. You had to hit above 200. We changed that. We always said, hit your weight, young man. And we did that because let's say you had a player who was a little overweight and he's coming in at 285. And you say, if you don't hit your weight, we're going to send you down. So you have two choices. Either lose some weight, which you're going to do in the Florida summer when we play outdoors, or start hitting better. Of course, no one cares about average anymore. It's not cool. Only care about home runs, launch angles, keeping Theo up at night, trying to make the game better. So Lindor's not hitting. Steve Cohn, after 23 games, says, I've got the perfect plan. I know exactly what we're going to do. Sandy. He called him up, picked up his phone, dialed him up. Sandy, Sandy, not Olivia Newton-John, just Sandy, the president of business operations and baseball operations for the New York Mets. Remember, they have no GM. Theo's working for baseball, not for the Mets. Wink, wink. What are we doing? Sandy said, what do you mean? We're watching a game against the Cardinals today. Well, what are we doing about the hitting? What do you mean? Well, Chili Davis is doing a terrible job. Shouldn't we fire him? What are you talking about? We're okay, Steve. It's April. Well, what about the assistant guy, Tom Slater or something? He sucks too. Well, no, he doesn't. These guys were our hitting coaches. There's nothing wrong with our approach. They haven't lost the clubhouse. They're doing their work. We're just struggling right now. Well, that's absurd. I'm the owner. I want changes right now. What about Rojas? Should we get rid of Ro- Get rid of the manager? What are you, Samson? It's April. We're not getting rid of the manager right now. Well, we got to do something. No, we don't, Steve. This is what baseball is. You have to have patience because if you don't have patience, you will end up making moves that will be baffling to the clubhouse, upsetting to the clubhouse, and will not lead to wins. What about my friend Jeffrey? Won the World Series in 03 after firing a manager. That's true, Steve. But then they chased Amy the rest of the time. And it worked that year, but never again. Well, it could work like that this year. Steve, you have three to five years to win a World Series. You cannot show this amount of panic. 
Are we good here, Steve? We're good. Bring, bring, next day. What are we doing? Steve? Yeah, it's Steve. What are we doing? Who are we firing? Nobody. We're fine. Nope. We're not getting runs for DeGrom. And I agree it's upsetting. I agree Diaz stinks. I didn't make that deal. Brody Van Wagoner did. I know that's not his name. I said it as a joke. BVW. Brody Van Wagoner. Familia closed the game. Why don't we use him as a closer? Steve, I'm going to need you to take a step back from the telephone because you're being emotional. You're being reactive. We are running this team analytically. We are running this team intelligently. We have built this team to win over the next three to five years. You've given us the resources. Let them work. No. Fire somebody right now. Steve, we're not. All right. Bye. Next day. I'm telling you, this is exactly how this happened, by the way. (laughs) Sandy, it's Steve. Yes, Steve. We got to do something. Something. They they stink. And we have DeGrom going against the Cardinals. Samson, with his nothing personal pick of the day, is probably going to pick against DeGrom again because we can't score for him. We need new hitting coaches. Steve, you're killing me. Fine. The Mets fired their hitting coach yesterday and their assistant hitting coach. Two hitting coaches. Not one, two. What a panic move by Steve Cohen. So do you want to know how it really happened? I think Steve Cohen called Sandy. (laughs) And he said, Sandy, I want to make a change. I want new hitting coaches because we're not hitting. And Sandy tried for one second. Steve, really? Sandy, that's what we're doing. Okay. I don't think Sandy's got the energy. Because the old Sandy Alderson... There is not one scenario where he would fire a hitting coach. Coco, when he comes back from his strike, which I don't think he ever will, but if he ever does, I'm going to want to know one thing. Has a Sandy Alderson-led team in Oakland, or even when he was with the Mets under the Wilpons, has he ever fired a hitting coach, pitching coach, or manager before the clock struck May? Although it is May. Strike that before the clock strikes May the 4th be with you. I'm going to say no, because that's not how Sandy rolls. He understands the rhythm of baseball and that sometimes it's going to get you. But at the end of the day, it is incredibly important to have a consistent approach with your players so you don't lose the clubhouse. I don't think Sandy was willing to fight the fight I think that heads had to roll and he chose the hitting coach. Way to go. So does it matter to you that the Mets scored five runs and lost to the Cardinals 6-5? And that then they fired their hitting coach after scoring five runs? Someone asked me that on Twitter, I think. And the answer is no. When you're firing your hitting coach, you decide before a game starts that you're going to do it after a game. You likely decide a few days in advance of saying it to anything and to anybody because you are getting your next hitting coach ready to be there for the next game. It's not like you have a week in between games. You have hours in between games. We always were concerned when we were firing coaches 
that what would happen if we would score 10 runs and then fire the hitting coach or fire the pitching coach after a pitcher throws a shutout or fire a manager after the manager wins a game. And our answer to the owner always was, you cannot plan one game in advance only. You can't make a decision after a game. You have to think about your decision, make your decision, and then implement your decision. And if scoring five runs in one game is going to change your decision, definitionally, you've made the wrong decision. The humor of it would be for an owner to call the GM after a five-run game, a loss though, and say, stop, keep chilly. We're good. No. Decisions were made way before they could have scored 20 runs. I think it's brilliant. Coca, he's back. You're not mad anymore, Coca? Are you jealous if you're watching this on the Nothing Person with David Sampson YouTube channel? You're going to see different backgrounds now throughout the next little while. Why not? Sandy Alderson fired a hitting coach on May 27th in 2014. That's not May 4th. That's another three weeks. That's no longer early. That's when we're, that's late. Remember we talked about that? I Was it on a mailbag episode or was it on a different show I was doing? I can't remember where I talked about what early, early is, what late, early is, what mid, mid is, and then early, late. When you're in the end of May, it's not early anymore. That is late, late, early. Oh, that was yesterday's episode. <laughs> I love that, folks. Do you know that I can't remember yesterday's episode? I just can't. Why are people firing people so early? Because they're desperate. The season started in such a way that owners get nervous. The clock turns to May. The calendar turns to May. And GMs can't hold them off much longer. The Phillies did something yesterday that was not owner-related. Because if the owner did get involved in this, then there's a real problem. They fired their minor league pitching coordinator. The insanity of that decision can only be understood by realizing that the minor league season starts now. The minor leagues didn't have a season last year. They only had the alternate site, which is where you've got your 60-man roster players who are not on your active 26-man rosters playing against each other, maybe playing against other teams in the region, but really not. They were playing against themselves. So we're going to have a regular minor league season. It was delayed by a month, but sort of regular. A minor league pitching coordinator, or what the Phillies call them, was director of pitching development. That is somebody who touches every pitcher in the entire system. They are roamers, if you will, where they go from the big leagues all the way down to low A, where they focus on your pitching prospects, not the people who are not prospects, those who actually have a chance to be in the big leagues, those who the GM has told you to focus on because they were high draft picks that aren't working out, but you want them to work out, so you focus on them. Low draft picks that aren't working out, you don't focus on at all. Low draft picks that are working, you focus on because all of a sudden they become prospects. So you go to each level in your system and you speak to the pitching coaches at each level. 
You are coordinating with the pitching coaches at each level. You are coordinating with the pitching coach at the major league level. You are coordinating with the head of the minor league system, the head of player personnel. It is a huge job to be the director of pitching development, to be the minor league pitching coordinator. The Phillies, in a move that could only be described as bizarre, fired him. And their reason for it, which is what made me smile even more, is that they wanted to take a more driveline-based approach. I want to tell you what that is. So Driveline Baseball is this company out of, I think it's uh, Seattle. They are a all-encompassing, they would describe themselves likely as a think tank, and they think, (laughs) do you get that? That they know how to do it better. And what it is, is no injuries, better performance, better preparation, better analytics, better tools, better analysis, better scouting, better development, better trades, better signings, They have cornered the market on your stupid, we're not. Hire us, and we're going to change your life. We're going to add velocity to your pitchers because we're going to tell them how to do it right. We're going to get your bullpen to stop blowing saves. No, I don't think they can do that. I don't think they can promise that, can they? I don't think they can do that. So Dave Dombrowski, Mr. Old School himself, gets hired late to be the president of baseball ops or the GM for the Phillies. And there is some consternation within the organization. We're sort of driveline, but not totally. We've got this great pitching coordinator. We love him, but he's not a big driveline guy. Should we be fully driveline or not? Can we be both? Well, having run a team, I can tell you that it is very confusing to your prospects when different people are saying different things to them And I'm very aware that that's happened, not not just with the Marlins. It happens everywhere. It is very difficult to coordinate all the different people who touch your players to have them all on message. Everybody tries. Everybody says they succeed. But I can tell you by having witnessed it in person for 18 big ones, it doesn't happen. And ask any player you speak to, and they will tell you they get told 10 different things by 10 different people. And sometimes they go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs because they're all inside their head trying to figure out where their arm slot should be, trying to figure out where they should be engaging the rubber, trying to figure out where they should be standing in the batter's box. Do they do a toe tap? Do they do a big step? Do they put their hips back? Do they go front leg? Whatever. That, that's hitting, by the way. So that was hitting and pitching. I was just giving you a spiel about all the different things that you can be told. You really want to have a consistent approach. So somehow the Phillies said, today's the day. We are going to be consistent top to bottom. The assistant general manager who works for the Phillies absolutely acknowledged that it was a weird time to do it. He said, though, I understand it's a weird time. And he had a very weird quote. It's a big move at kind of an odd time, he said, and I get that. I think at the end of the day, though, these days are precious. Look, we just lost the whole year, he said. Every day with our players is precious. It was just a decision to make a change and go for it. Go for moving those things forward and not wait. I have a question to the Phillies organization because you're listening. 
you just realized that these days were precious? Now, on the eve of the season starting? I just want to try to understand what happened during the off season when you are staffing your minor league system. You're putting everyone together, right? You didn't realize that development of your minor league players is precious? That every day that there's no minor league team, no minor league game, is a day that you are slowing the development of your top players? That's the epiphany that you had? Did you and Dave Dombrowski sit down and have this collective epiphany while in the fetal position sucking your thumb because you're so worried that your team stinks and worried whether Girardi's the right manager, worried whether or not you fixed your bullpen, worried whether or not you're ever going to make the playoffs with Bryce Harper, worried whether or not signing JT was the right thing, trying to figure out, are these days and years precious? Were you sitting down? Did you light some candles? And you said, you know what? Let's do it right now. Let's fire him right now and bring in another driveline guy and go straight driveline. What a crock of crap. Something happened. You do not make that decision on the eve of the minor league season and say it's because every day is precious. You don't do it. Tell us the truth. Tell us that you had to acquiesce to an owner getting involved in the minor leagues. I don't even believe John Middleton did that. Tell us that Dave Dombrowski wouldn't let you do this, but now he realized that he has so much pressure to win that all of a sudden he better do something to appease above him, his owner. That'd be possible. But Dave knows better. As a cat, big a cowboy as Dave Dombrowski is, making it a change like that on the eve of the season? I mean, can you imagine firing your hitting coach right now? Who would do that? When we come back, we're going to review a movie that one of you told me to watch, and I did. And I want to say thank you, but I'm also upset because you made me cry. We're also going to talk a little baseball because do you remember we talked injuries one of these weeks? I don't remember when we did it, but we told you there were going to be injuries. It may have been in a recent episode. It could have been yesterday. It could have been two weeks ago. But we got some major, major injury news that we told you was going to happen. We should have made it a wait to see that Dustin May was going to get Tommy John, but he is. We will be right back. Please don't go anywhere. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David. You found us. We appreciate that. Please rate, review on Apple Podcasts. If you don't do this on Apple, then please download, subscribe, wherever you are. Follow. Spread the word. That's the best thing you can do, actually. Tell people about nothing personal. Tell them there's this guy 
I never know where he is. I never know whether Coke is real or not because he talks to someone who's not on camera. We never hear the guy's voice. He sings and he talks about some stuff that interests me. And sometimes I feel like it's a train wreck. Well, the other thing that you'll tell someone when you tell them to listen to nothing personal is that we get to watch a movie every day. I watch a movie every single day. And I take your suggestions. I put them on the list. Some of you, I'd like to just say this if you're listening right now. You don't have to remind me twice to put your show or your movie on the list. If I haven't reviewed it or I tell you it's going to be on the list, I promise you it's on the list. This is a phone. I have a list of things that I've been asked to watch. I can't watch them all at once. Someone told me to watch Seven Yards, the Chris Norton story. I had never heard of Chris Norton. I never heard of the Chris Norton story. I never heard the movie. So I search it on Netflix and I see it's a documentary, which I didn't know. It's about a high school football player who goes to college, plays at a college game as a freshman, which is pretty cool, and then makes a tackle and gets paralyzed. That's not a good story. So I'm watching, wondering, why am I watching this? Is this going to absolutely make me despondent? The Chris Norton story is one of the most inspirational stories ever, and here's why. I've come across people with great will before, and one of the sayings that I have is where there's a will, there's a way. I don't like people telling me I don't have time to do this. I don't like people telling me it's too hard to do. I can't figure it out. There's no way to do this. My answer is always where there's a will, there's a way. And now what you're saying to me is there are some people that could have the biggest and greatest will in the world and it doesn't change a situation they have. If they're sick, if they have cancer, if they're paralyzed, quadriplegic, paraplegic, whatever the case is, I've got all the will in the world. How do I change? And my answer is, if you don't have all the will in the world, then you really won't know whether you can. Having all the will in the world will not guarantee success, but not having the will will guarantee failure. Chris Norton had a will, and the will was he wanted to walk again. And he was told by doctors, not going to happen. He went through his... Many stages after he was on the field, not moving, fear, wondering what his life would be like, wondering whether he would ever have a girlfriend, get married, be able to graduate, be able to ever stand up again. He took that fear and his faith in God, and he decided, I'm going to outwill this spinal cord injury. And the documentary talks about the injury and his recovery and the training that he had to do, the physical therapy he had to do. If you're supposed to do two hours a day and that's a good day of physical therapy, he would do five. If you're supposed to do four, he'd do seven. If you're supposed to be able to feel your toe, if you're lucky in two months, he would make sure that he could try to feel his toe in two days. That's the type of goal setting he did, Chris Norton. The documentary goes through every stage, the ups, the downs. Chris Norton, spoiler alert, is the main star of the Chris Norton story. 
He tells the story. He narrates it as though he could be on Survivor, which is how to get on Survivor. You have to be able to narrate a story because that's what the confessionals are when you're watching Survivor and someone's talking to the camera. They're moving the narrative forward. Chris Norton did a great job of that. Chris Norton ends up meeting someone, falling in love, and marrying her. I don't want to spoil what his will led him to, but he's leading a life that I guess I would tell you I would dream about but could never attain because I'm not a good enough person. What he's doing now is something that will inspire you, and I'm not just talking about the recovery from his surgery. I would like you to watch the Chris Norton story. I would like to thank whoever told me to watch the Chris Norton story. And I appreciate that you all do this. I really do. I cried. And the reason I cried is that I wanted, I felt emotional watching it. Because when you see someone with that level and that amount of level of will and that amount that needs to be overcome, it's inspiring to the point of tears. The Chris Norton story. I didn't cry when the Indians beat the Royals last night. I know we won our nothing personal pick of the day. Someone, Coca, can you, should we stop the nothing personal pick of the day? Someone texted me or tweeted me at me at David P. Sampson. We would make more money if you would pick underdogs. Okay. But don't you make more money if you win more games than you lose? Now, I understand the math. If you lose on a three-to-one favor and you have to lay 300 to win 100 and you lose that pick of the day, and that means you're down 300, you have to win three straight in order just to be even. I get that. But we're 56 and 39. And why would I pick the Royals to beat the Indians because the Royals were favored, not favored? I don't even know who was favored in the game. I cannot remember. Is that weird? Sorry, Coca. All I know is the Indians beat the Royals. That was our pick of the day, and we won. I've got two picks today. And I want to go through them with you. There's a big series that we're going to watch. I hope you're going to watch it. The Astros are playing the Yankees. I believe the Astros will be going to Yankee Stadium for the first time since the trash can scandal of 2017. First time since the Yankees were eliminated by the Astros. Yankee fans are pissed. They're going to boo. And guess what? It's not going to matter. The Yankees find themselves thinking that all is well because they just played the Tigers. Spoiler alert, sweeping the Tigers does not mean all is well. If you don't sweep the Tigers, it means you are in a whole heap of trouble if you're the Yankees and Aaron Boone should start worrying about his job. You've got Zach Greinke pitching against Domingo Herman. Herman is back to starting again. He's the guy who was suspended. We're taking Houston. Zach Greinke is the exact pitcher you want to be pitching against the Yankees when the Yankees are struggling, but thinking that they're over their struggles. They're going to get down on the knob so hard, and Aaron Judge is going to try to hit seven home runs. When Zach Greinke throws his 50-mile-an-hour oofus, Aaron Judge and the other Yankee hitters will screw themselves into the ground. I'm taking Houston. But we're doing a second game. I'm going back to the Mets. The Mets have new hitting coaches and Jacob DeGrom. This is the biggest slam dunk of the season. New hitting coaches and Jacob DeGrom. We're taking the Cardinals over the Mets. 
They've got a spot starter going for the Cardinals, Oviedo. He's a spot starter. He's fine. DeGrom for the Mets, best pitcher in baseball. But the Mets have a bullpen problem. The Cards are a very disciplined hitting team. The Cards are a good team, strong up and down the lineup. We're going against the Mets and their new hitting coaches. We're going against Jacob DeGrom, even though he's the best pitcher in baseball. Why? Why? Because that's our second pick of the day. Bonus pick. So the Dodgers have a small problem that we need to talk about. Do you remember when the Dodgers started the season? They were going to win 167 games, I think. Somehow in a 162-game season, their over-under for wins was 167. I'm not sure I understand how that is, but they had no holes. Everyone was goo-goo for Gaga over them. Best team, deepest team, repeat champions, first time since the 98 Yankees. Everything's great. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, fine. Still could be true. As we sit here today, Coca, did the Dodgers have the best record in baseball? I'm kidding, Coca. You don't have to answer that. No. As we're sitting here today, how are the Dodgers doing? I'd say mediocre with a capital M. I think they've lost four out of their last eight, nine out of their last 13. Some ungodly number. I think they're either tied for a little bit behind San Francisco, tied with the Padres. But that's not why they have a problem. They have a problem because of what we spoke about yesterday, the day before, the week before, the week before that, the month before that. Take a look at their injured list. It's jam-packed. Dustin May joined them, took him out of a game, and he, they called it just a little UCL soreness, which you, of course, know because you follow me on Twitter, David P. Sampson, Tommy John. Well, they announced it. Dustin May is going to have Tommy John. It's not a joke anymore, these injuries that are happening. Louis Robert of the White Sox, remember his hip thing? He pulled up at first base, looked like he got hit by a sniper. He's out 12 to 16 weeks. If you're a White Sox fan, you're having Albert Bell nightmares. There's really very few things that can ruin a position player's career. Hips are one of them. The White Sox in general are struggling. Everything's upside down. It will all be okay. But there are going to be some disappointments this season, I promise you. The Dodgers could very well end up disappointing you. The White Sox could very well end up disappointing you. What about the Tony La Russa thing? How's he doing? Are you all happy with Tony La Russa if you're a White Sox fan? Remember the guy who was brought back by Jerry Reinsdorf he hadn't managed in 10 years? Did the game pass him by was the question. Remember he had that drunk driving incident and he said he was sorry and he was embarrassed, but he didn't get fired. He was kept on by Jerry Reinsdorf. Jerry Reinsdorf wanted to hire him. No one else wanted to hire him, but Jerry Reinsdorf said, I'm making this my hire. We are now on May the 4th. Be with you. And the White Sox players are ready. Chirping, chirp, 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 chirping about Tony La Russa and his managerial decisions. He's old school. He wants to put the game in motion. He keeps pitchers in for longer. Maybe then they should. Maybe he doesn't use bats off the bench as much as he should. But you're telling me that Tony La Russa lost his clubhouse and the respect that the players had for him? Do you remember back in spring training when we had these quotes? We are so lucky to have Tony La Russa, a man of his World Series winning pedigree. All the young players were saying, oh, this is great. We love him. And I said, well, you haven't, you haven't lived with him. You've done workouts during an offseason or you said hello to him. You've had dinner with him. You shared ravioli with him. You don't know if you like your manager 
until you know how your manager handles a losing streak, until you know how your manager handles a slump, until you know how your manager handles the general manager and the owner, until you see how your manager handles the coaching staff. That's when you make a decision on whether or not you like your manager. We're a month in. It's about enough time for players to get an idea, to chirp. Does that mean the White Sox are in trouble? No. If you go back and ask some of our players from the Jack McKeon years, they will say to you that Jack McKeon made decisions they couldn't understand. In 03, they worked. In 04 and 05, they didn't. They'll say to you, we would look at him in the middle of a game and say, what could you possibly be thinking? We would articulate it. And he would say, ah, I'm Trader Jack. I'll do whatever I want. We didn't overmanage him in those days. We did not tell him what to do during games at all. We'd be upset with him after games, but we were not giving him lineups. We were not giving him in-game moves. We were far less involved uh, than front offices are right now. So as I think about the White Sox situation, who were favored to be really good, as you recall, when I think about the Dodgers situation, we're favored to be great. I think about injuries. I think about managers. I think about hitting coaches. And that returns me to the point that I love baseball. I love the fact that you can plan an entire season during the offseason. You can imagine how it's going to go. You can put 10,000 simulations into the special Dr. Seuss machine. But at the end of the day, you've got to play the game. And you've got to watch the season unravel. It's a script. It's a story. It's a six-act play. We are in the beginning of the second act of this six-act play, and we are seeing it develop. It's fun. It's business. It's nothing personal. 